This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Right, next couple of weeks, you get to um, hear from Andy and I. We have a series, a mini-series that we're doing this two weeks, uh, talking about ministry, as Nathan already mentioned to you, about serving one another in the church. And so uh, Rick's taking the uh, next two weeks, uh, let, the last week, I guess, and next week, uh, preparing for our next series and also taking a few days off. So uh, he'll be back in a few weeks, back preaching a new series. But this two-week series, again, we're focusing on serving. And uh, if you're like me, in the last couple of weeks um, in the news, anybody hear about the Mega Millions Lottery $650 million. Did you hear about that? Yes? No? Yeah. Unless you were hiding underneath a rock, it's probably hard to hear, uh, not hear about it in the news. <clears throat> Everybody's talking about what it would be like and what the odds are and, and all that. And I've never played the lottery, so I didn't even know how to go down and buy a ticket. If I wanted to go down and buy a ticket, I wasn't sure how the whole Powerball thing started, um, you know, started or how it worked or any of that. But um, since then, since a couple of weeks ago, I've learned, you know, watching the news, how, how it all works out. And if you know anything about it, you've got to pick five numbers, um, and you know, numbers can be anything, and, and you put them in a row, they can be in a row or whatever. And even some folks in our church came up and said, I want a few dollars, I want like $30 or $40. If you get two of the numbers, you get a certain amount. But if you get those five numbers, I think, you, I, I don't remember, I think you get maybe a couple of million or a million, something like that. But the key to the Powerball is what? You got to get the Powerball, right? You got to get that one number, the red number, you know, that one last number. And if you get that one number, then you win the jackpot, the 650 million or whatever it might be for the week. And this is not a commercial for the lottery. <laughs> but as we were getting ready for this um, series that Andy and I have been talking about for the next couple of weeks, I thought about this, this whole idea of the Powerball, you know, that extra power, the extra, whatever the element is that takes you to the next level, takes you from being just a regular million dollar winner, maybe to a mega million dollar winner. And the same thing is true in ministry. We want to figure out what is it takes um, us from just being a regular servant, a regular ministry and minister in the church to being a mega minister or a mega servant, to be the ultimate servant that God wants us to be. And so we'll be talking about two different things, two different tools that God um, gives us as Christians that can take us to the next level in our ministry or serving one another in the church. All right, we'll unwrap these two tools. Uh, I'll be talking about one today, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. And then Andy next week will be talking about a different tool that God gives us to help us serve uh, one another in the church. God wants us to be extraordinary servants, ministers in the church, and so he wants to give us the power to do that. All right, uh, when I was a um, young boy, maybe about 13 or 14, I'm not sure how old I was, but I took my first aeroplane ride. And um, I don't know if you can think about your first airplane ride, but for me, it was kind of a surprise. I wasn't really sure what to expect. All I know is what I'd seen on TV. You know, you get in the plane, uh, the plane starts up, goes down the runway, and and hopefully there's a pilot in there and he's going to take the plane up and bring it back down where you want to go. And that's kind of all I knew about flying. I was kind of naive about it. And um, Mr. Jackson, is an older gentleman in our church, came up to me after the last service and he says, uh, flying's easy. He said, it's landing in the right place. That's the hard part. 
But all I knew is that you get in the plane, it takes off. And so when the plane took off, the first airplane ride that I took, uh, I don't know if, you, if anybody's ever been in the plane, you know, the plane just goes like that. And you're sitting like this. And well, I've always seen it on TV. I thought you were just kind of, you just kind of went up a little bit, you know, but it didn't. You're sitting way back like this. And I was kind of like, Ooh, I, I wasn't expecting that. But as I grow older, you know, you understand a little bit more about things as you grow, as you get older, you learn things. And hopefully anyway, and so I learned, I've learned some things. And so I understand a little bit more about how a plane works and all that and how a plane takes off and flies. You know, I understand a little bit more about the aerodynamics of a plane. If you've ever been to the uh, Wright Brothers Memorial, you know that they figured out how to, to make the wings shaped like a, a seagull's wing, you know, that gives the plane lift. And that's how, you know, it, it creates the, the lift that the plane needs. You know, if you know anything about jet engines and how they, they work, you know, they suck in air and they push out and they give you the thrust the plane needs. You know, and the plane has multiple computers on it that guide it and help the pilot so that he does come down in the right spot. They, they can figure out by weather, you know, the, where the jet stream is and they can get just in the right spot so that it's a smooth ride. See, I had no idea about any of that stuff when I was a young boy. But as I get older, I can understand those things in a different way. The same thing is true about our salvation that we have, that you and I have. A couple of weeks ago, Rick talked about, on Easter Sunday, talked about the three aspects of our salvation, about the, the good news, the gospel, that Jesus died according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again. And when we trust that, when we put our faith in that, that's when we have salvation. That's when our salvation comes, when we place our faith in Christ and what he did for us. And at that moment, the Bible calls that being born again. And that's when you hear the verses that talk about being born again. That's, it happens at that split second when we place our faith in Christ. And at that moment, we understand things to a point. We can comprehend a little bit, but not all of it that entails our salvation. And you saw the video just a minute ago of our folks that just got baptized last week. The things that they understand, once I was lost and now I'm found. Once I was afraid, but I'm not afraid anymore. Once I didn't have any purpose, but now I have purpose. They understand those elementary things aspects of our salvation. And as children, we understand things to a point, but as we grow, we understand even more. And the same thing is true about our relationship with Christ. The whole idea is that we're to be growing and learning so that it even means more to us as we grow than it does when we're baby Christians or young Christians. As a matter of fact, a large portion of the New Testament That's what it was written for, to help us understand. And it used a lot of different word pictures and words. Matter of fact, there are a lot of churchy words, we like to call them, church words, the words you only use in church, that help us understand just exactly what happened at that moment of salvation. Words like redemption. Nobody uses that in the workplace or out in the football field. But that's a a word that helps us understand what our salvation is all about. Words like sanctification, justification, It even uses the word adoption to help us understand as we grow. And it takes a lifetime for us to understand that to the point where it gets deeper and deeper and it means more and more to us. But all these things, 
happened to us at that one moment where we put our faith in Christ and we get our salvation, we're saved. But we don't realize that all these things happen at that one point. And along with that, not just those things, but along with all of that, at that moment of salvation, God gives us his Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. Think about that for a minute. Now, you may be an older Christian, been in church for a long time, and you're like, well, duh. You know, I've heard that my whole life, you know, since I was a baby. I've heard that since, you know, I was young, I was a child. The Holy Spirit does come inside of us. But you may be a young Christian. You may be even a non-Christian or someone who's just seeking, and you're just kind of figuring all this stuff out. But think about that for a minute. I ask you to close your eyes. This is something we don't always do in church. I ask you to close your eyes and think about some things. I want to do it for just a minute, though, because I don't want you to fall asleep, especially with the rain coming down. But picture, try to picture in your mind that whole concept of God's Holy Spirit coming to live with inside of you, to dwell with you forever at that moment of salvation. The Bible gives us pictures to help us think about that. In the Old Testament, it talks about Aaron and how the oil was poured on Aaron's head to symbolize the Holy Spirit and how it ran down his beard, covering him. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper. He said he would be a guide, a teacher for us. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Just think about that for a minute, though, how deep, how deep that is that God's Spirit comes to live inside of us. And that happens at that moment of salvation, the very moment that we're saved, and he never leaves. The same thing is true at that same minute, that same moment where you place your faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in. God gives you something else. He gives you what we call spiritual gift. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what gives you the power to do your ministry whatever it might be. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He also gives us a spiritual gift to empower us. That's where we get our, the whole idea from our, message, our messages today and our series is that God gives us the power to serve him. And one of those things is a spiritual gift. A definition of a spiritual gift, real quick, you have that in your notes. You can fill in the, the blanks there. A definition is a spiritual gift or supernatural abilities controlled by the Holy Spirit given to every believer at salvation, used to serve and minister to the church or the body. That would be you and me. So God wants us to serve one another in the church, and he gives us the power to do that by giving us a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift, again, is a supernatural ability. It's something that he helps me do that I can't do on my own. The purpose of the gift is to help us build up one another, to make each other stronger Christians, to help us grow as we grow together. If you've taken Rick's class, if you're a partner here, you've taken Rick's class, and he tells you about the purpose of our church. It start, they both start with E. Everybody remember those? They are what? Evangelism, and the last word is edification. That's a fancy, another fancy church word for build up. We build up one another. That's the whole reason we are a church. We're together is to build one another up and to introduce other people to Jesus Christ. But the spiritual gifts give us the power to do that, to build one another up. As a part of Nags Head Church, we believe that 
Um, ministry is at the very heart of the Christian life. Ministry is the whole reason, well, not the whole reason, but one of the main reasons we were saved, and that was to serve one another and to serve. And we believe that's why it's in our purpose statement that you should have a ministry at Nags Head Church if you're going to be part of our church. Matter of fact, that's the whole reason Jesus came, was to serve, and that's what ministry is. Now, we could spend a long time this morning talking about spiritual gifts. Matter of fact, Rick taught a series uh, years back when we were in the old church and we met on Sunday nights. And I think this morning he said that he taught for 24 Sunday nights about spiritual gifts. So I'm going to squeeze all that down into 30 minutes today, okay? So you have to pay attention. Not really. We're not going to cover everything, but what we're going to talk about today is how that spiritual gifts can give you the power to serve here in our church. Now, I'm going to read real quick um, just a short uh, list of what the uh, spiritual gifts are. I didn't do this in the last service, but I'll do it for y'all just now. And when you get done, don't write these down. Don't try to write because I'm going to read real quick. When you get done in here today, you can stop at the Welcome Center and pick up one of these lists, and it'll explain what all the spiritual gifts are from Scripture. And you can take this home and look it over. And if you have any questions, you can give those to me later. But um, here's the spiritual gifts that are listed in, in Scripture. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles, healing, ministry, which is helps, giving, ruling, which is administrations, mercy, faith, teaching, exhortation, or another word you could use as encouragement, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discernment. God gives all these spiritual gifts to Christians in the church, to believers, to help us serve one another and to help each other grow. And that's the whole purpose of the spiritual gifts. So let's take a look at a couple of things this morning. We look at four different points um, that will help us kind of understand some things. And again, like I said, this is not an exhaustive teaching on the spiritual gifts, but it's just to help us understand the power that God gives us to serve. The first one is my spiritual gift empowers me to do my God-given ministry. My God-given ministry. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 says... There are different spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries and the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Now, in my class, I teach um, in, our cl- in our church called Discovering Your Ministry. We spend a lot more time on spiritual gifts. We talk about your whole package, your ministry that God has shaped you for. But in that class, one of the things I developed, and we don't have, again, time to do that this morning, is that and from Scripture, you can make the case that God has given each person their own personal spiritual gift. Like Brenda would have her spiritual gift. It may be a little bit of this gift that one from the list that I just read. It may be a little bit of the other gift. Terry might be somebody else. He would have a little bit of this gift and and another a little bit of that gift. But again, the Bible seems to say that I have my spiritual gift. And again, it may be a little of this, a little of that. But God gives that to me personally to serve him somewhere in the church. Spiritual gifts are different in each, each person and different people because we're all different people. So if I have one spiritual gift and you have the same spiritual gift, it may look different in you than it does in me because each one of us has all had different life experiences. Each one of us have a different personality. So I won't use, if we have the same spiritual gift, I won't use my spiritual gift in the same way that you do. 
I may use my spiritual gift in a different area of ministry, like older people, where you may love young children, working with young children, younger people. So each one of us has this unique gift that God gives us, and he wants us to use it in a certain way. It's up to us just to figure out how. You may come from an Ivy League school, while I may come from the school of hard knocks. So we're going to have different life experiences. We're going to have different life outlooks. But God can still use our spiritual gifts in the church somewhere. The key is that God gives us spiritual gifts to do ministry somewhere, and he's called us to that ministry. Now, a lot of times in church you hear that people have a calling, like our missionaries that just left a few weeks ago, the McKinney's. You think about the pastor. You always, we always talk about he's called into ministry. Well, that's true for every person, every believer. God calls all of us into ministry. That's another thing that happened at that moment of salvation, that each one of us were called into a certain ministry. It's just up to us to figure out where God wants us. Paul writes in, in Romans 12, verse 6. Let's read that out loud together. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And so Paul is trying to sit, paint the same picture to a different group of Christians there, the Roman Christians. He says, you're, you're to take these gifts that you have and use them according to the gift that you have. That's what your ministry is to be. Paul uses the word grace in that verse. Our spiritual gifts are called grace gifts. They're, they're gifts. God gives them to us, not because we deserve them, because he loves us and he loves the church. And so the same way uh, that grace works with our salvation, it works with our spiritual gift too. It's a gift that God gives us. Each person has to figure out just where it is that God wants him to serve and serve in that way, him or her. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a young boy, um, I can remember getting uh, birthday gifts or Christmas gifts and, um, you know, when, when you're a boy, you know, when you're young like that, a child, you get excited, you know, the momentum brings up, you know, builds up and you're, the anticipation, you're waiting for Christmas day, you can't sleep Christmas night or um, when your uh, birthday's coming up, you know that you're going to get a gift or more, one, more than one usually, and you're just expecting that gift, this is going to be mine, you know, I get to play with my gift. But sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but um, I can remember getting gifts, you know, and you open that gift up, and the person giving it to you goes, now you've got to share that with your sister. <laughs> and you're like, that's my day. It's my birthday. I don't want to share. Some of you have heard me tell the story of, um, I don't know, I was 10 or 11, and I got a motorcycle for Christmas. And um, I'd ask, you know, we, I'd ask for, I don't know, for a year. My mom could tell you, I'd ask and ask and ask. I want a mini bike. I want a mini bike. That's all I wanted, you know. And Christmas morning came, and we got a motorcycle, but it was a gift to me and my sister, so I had to share it. You know, she had to ride an hour, then I had to ride an hour. And um, so we had, it was something we had to share. Uh, number two says, our spiritual gift is meant to be given away, not kept for ourselves, but to be given away. It's a gift that God gives to us, but it's a gift that we're to give away, not keep for ourselves. First Peter 4.10, Peter writes... Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. So use your gift well. 
Peter says that the way we use our gift is to give it away. It's not meant for you. Your spiritual gift is meant for other people in the church. Rick put this slide on my Facebook this, this week. I thought it was appropriate. The meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. We gain meaning in our lives when we figure out what our gift is so that we can help other people in whatever area we're gifted at. You can't give your, way, your gift away, by the way, if you stay by yourself, can you? If you're not around other people, how are you going to give your spiritual gift away? And so the spiritual gifts work in the context of the local church as we serve one another. Next week, that's what Andy's going to talk about. He's going to talk about the power, number two, that he's going to bring a message about next week, and that's working together as teams. That's how God empowers us through our spiritual gifts, but also as we work together with one another in teams. We give each other strength and power to serve. And so Andy's going to share next week about how important it is that we work together as a team. All right, so if our spiritual gift is a gift from God and he meant for us to give that gift away, number three, it only makes sense that trying to use my gift without love is useless. It's useless. Every place that spiritual gifts are mentioned in the New Testament, and they're only mentioned in a few places, but every place that spiritual gifts are mentioned, whether it's Paul writing or whether it's Peter writing, it's always in the context of love. You can always see the subject of loving one another brought up. But most of the verses we've been looking at this morning were 1 Corinthians 12. And everyone knows what comes after 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter. And what is that chapter all about? The love chapter. Last year, I attended, I was present at maybe 30, 30 plus weddings. And almost every wedding, not all, but almost all, all of them, they like to read the love chapter, chapter 13. Because in chapter 13, Paul lists out all the aspects of what real, true, godly love is. But the whole idea behind chapter 13, Paul didn't write that to married couples, although it's good to learn what love is. Paul wrote chapter 13, the love chapter, in context of spiritual gifts so that the church there would understand that when they're using their spiritual gifts, when they're ministering to one another in the church, that love should be at the basis of that, all that service, all that using their spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the last verse there, says, Now faith, hope, and love remain. These three things... And the greatest of these is love. So love is to be at the heart of all of our ministry. Now, I've been in construction trade for about, uh, since I was 13 years old. You can figure out how old I am from that. But since I was about 13 years old, I've worked in construction, drywall. And from time to time, you have to have new people come on. Um, You hire people on to help you. And if anybody's ever hired anyone, you know you want to try to find the best person for the job. You want to find out how qualified they are. And so you ask questions. Hey, have you ever done this before? Do you know how to do this? That's a key. Do you know how to hang sheetrock? And when I was younger, that's mostly what I did. I would put the sheetrock up um, before I started finishing it. And, and so you have to hold it up and nail it and screw it. And you've got to be able to measure you know, how long the boards are and all that. And we hired this guy one time. 
And uh, the first day I was working with him, and we worked for about an hour or so, you know, and I was cutting the boards, and we were nailing them up and everything. It came to a point where I had to ask him, hey, measure that board for me, would you? Um, tell me how long it needs to be. And he looked at me, he says, I don't know how to read a tape measure. And I was like, well, you know, you told me you've done this before. How did you do this before if you'd never measured a border? He's like, oh, we used to just hold it up there and trim it. You know, we never measured. We would just cut it off as it needed. And I was like, no, you've never done this before then because that doesn't work. (laughs) You have to measure the board. So he was a fake. And from from over the years, I've hired other people that like to um, pretend they know what they're doing, but it doesn't take long to figure out that they don't. You see stories in the news about the same thing. People like to fake things. Um, a couple of months ago, or a couple of weeks ago, I guess, I saw a story on the TV about a lady who told everyone she had cancer. And for like years, she would raise money, you know, and saying, I have cancer. And she would go cancer benefits and, and go to cancer relays for life and stuff. And, and come to find out she had never had cancer. She was just faking it. Read a story about a guy that... Um, his deal was that he liked to go to restaurants and eat. So he would go to restaurants and, and sit down and order his meal and eat his meal. And about the end of the meal, every time he went to the restaurant, he would fall down on the floor and fake an epileptic fit, you know, and he would start his epileptic. And they would call the ambulance. They would come to get him, you know, and he, of course, he wouldn't have to pay for his meal. But they finally caught him and arrested him for that because he was faking it. They figured out after a while, he did it so many times that he was just a fake. So why do I tell you those stories? I tell you those stories because it's easy to try to fake things as people. It's easy to be, try to be deceitful. And one of the things that I've learned, and one of the things that Paul learned too, that's why he addresses it in the first Corinthian church there, in the Corinthian church, is that it's easy for us to try to fake using our spiritual gifts. What happens is as we grow older, as we become more mature Christians and as we use our spiritual gifts, we get, in, you know, we get into our ministry groove and we find exactly where it is God wants us and we do it. And the more we seem to do it, the better at it we seem to get. And the better at it we seem to get, the, more we can, the better off we are at faking. Rather than being led by God's power, we start doing things on our own power, not God's power. We can get so good at doing whatever it is God has called us to that we feel like sometimes we don't even need his help or we don't want his help. How many times have you come to church and just gone through the motions? I know I've done the same thing. I've come to church and done this, whatever it is that I was supposed to do. And then you leave and you're like, I'm just kind of glad that's done so I can go home and relax. I really wasn't into it that day. That's not what God wants. He wants us to have love at the center of all of our ministry, all of our service as we come, not to do it in our power, but to do it in his power. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy... And know all mystery and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, who does it not profit? Does it not profit the church? Who does it not profit? Me. 
So I can come and I can serve, I can do my ministry, and it may even help you. It may be beneficial for the church, but who does it not benefit? It doesn't benefit me. I think about the story of Moses in the Old Testament. You know, if you heard this story, how the the people of Israel were going through the desert and it was dry, they had no water, and they complained, they grumbled, Moses, you brought us out here to let us die. We don't have water. We need water. So Moses goes to God, and what does God tell him to do? He says, go and take your staff and strike the rock, right? And Moses did that. And what happened? The water came gushing out. They had water. So the next time that the same thing happened, the people started to grumble. We don't have any water. We need water. You brought us out here to die. The same thing. So Moses goes to God, and God says to do what? Speak to the rock. Don't strike it this time. Speak to it. And the water, and Moses went, and what did he do? He hit the rock instead of speaking like God said. Did the water come out? Did Moses do what God told him to do? No. And who was it not profitable for? The people profited. The people gained the water. God saved the people. But Moses was the one to suffer because what happened because of that instance? Because Moses took the glory for himself rather than giving it to God. Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land because he didn't obey. And so we can come and we can fake it, but that's not what God wants for us. Romans twelve nine, Paul writes again in the context of spiritual gifts. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy in the, in the New Testament here, that word just talks about being an actor, faking it. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. Again, he's talking in the context of spiritual gifts, serving one another. So yeah, the question might come to your mind then, okay, so I don't have love in my heart. I don't feel like doing my ministry. My motives might be wrong this week. You know, I just, I'm just not really into it. What should you do? Should you stay home? Should you quit? Should you run? No. What you should do is change your heart. That's the whole idea. Behind Jesus' ministry, that's what it was all about. It was about serving one another. And the whole thing is, it's about loving one another. That's the whole point of serving one another. And so if I have a hard time loving one another, I need to change my heart. All right, number four, the fun part. Those are a couple of important things about spiritual gifts, but the fun part is how do you figure out what your spiritual gift is? The first one is you pray about it. Pray about it. You don't pray for it, but you pray about it for direction. A lot of people have taken just one or two verses from the um, 1 Corinthians passage there and said that Paul was trying to get people to pray for a certain gift, but that's not what he was talking about. And one of the verses he talks about that we should earnestly desire the greater gifts. He's not talking about seeking after a certain gift as an individual. He's talking about as the church, they should think of some gifts that is more important, like the, not, not so much more important, but you should focus on them maybe even more than the showy gifts is what he was trying to say. Because in the Corinthian church, they were self-centered. Love wasn't at the heart of their ministry and they're using their spiritual gifts. They wanted the attention for themselves. So we don't pray for a certain gift. What happens is we pray for direction to figure out how God has gifted us in a certain area. 
If you think about this for a minute, if Paul was trying to teach us to pray for a certain gift, that I want this gift, then why wouldn't we just pray for all the gifts? Right? And now I could be a super servant, you know? I could have them all. But that's not what Paul is trying to get across. He's trying to get across that each person has their gift, their own personal gift, and to use it in, a, in the way that God's gifted them. We pray for guidance to figure out what our gift is, not for God to give us the gift that we want. All right, next is know what the gifts are. I read the short list just a minute ago. All our, the spiritual gifts that we have are listed in the New Testament, and they're easy to find. Um, on your way out, stop at the Welcome Center. There's some scriptures on that list that point out just exactly what the gifts are, how we use our spiritual gifts in the church, how each one is used in the church. And you can look those up, and you can kind of look through those and say, hey, that might be me, it might not be me. But the, the gifts are clearly spelled out in the New Testament. We don't go to the Old Testament to figure out what spiritual gifts are because people didn't have spiritual gifts in the Old Testament. People were, um, individuals were given the Holy Spirit to do certain things, but not every believer in the Old Testament had the Holy Spirit live inside them, therefore they didn't have spiritual gifts. We believe that spiritual gifts were for the New Testament church. All right? C is walk in the Spirit or live in the Spirit. This only makes sense. If God works through His Spirit inside of me, to empower me to serve other people in the church. And he gives me a Holy Spirit, his spirit inside of me, working in me. And he gives me his Holy Spirit to guide me and help me do my ministry. And that's what I need to use when I'm serving. But it doesn't make sense that I can live outside of the spirit, his spirit, and still serve in my, with my spiritual gift. So living in sin doesn't allow me to serve and work in the Spirit. If we want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and we want to use our spiritual gift, then we need to be walking with Him daily. That's how we figure out what our spiritual gift is. When I come to church and I do ministry and, I, and I'm successful at what I'm doing, then other people can see that God is working through me. That's how I figure out what my spiritual gift is. Other people can see you working with God, alongside of God and with God, as he uses your Holy Spirit, your spiritual gift. So a key is walking in the Spirit. All right, lastly but not leastly, D, if you want to figure out what your spiritual gift is, you have to do something. You've got to get busy doing something. You can't sit on the sidelines wondering what your spiritual gift is and figure out what it is. Think about famous sports figures, you know, that start when they're kids. Um, you know, in a different sport. You think about maybe Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan. You know, Michael Jordan didn't sit down with one of his teachers or his, sports, his uh, coach and say, hey, can I take a survey and figure out what kind of sport I'm good at? How did Michael Jack, uh, Jordan figure out that he was good at a certain sport? Somebody gave him a basketball and he started playing with it. That's how he figured it out. How does Steve Jobs, people like Bill Gates, how did they figure out they were smart enough to build computers? They started building computers and they figured it all out. They just got in there and did it. Same thing is true in the church. We figure out our spiritual gift by getting busy, by doing something. So that's why in, on May 6th, we were promoting Test Drive Sunday. If you're not sure where God has gifted you and you're just kind of figuring it all out, 
Or even if you're on a ministry team already and you want to try another ministry team out, we're doing Test Drive Sunday where you can come for one Sunday and serve. And if you're not, you know, you figure out that's not really where I want to be. You're not committed to that. We just want you to try it out. Uh, Now, there's some stipulation too now. Make sure you take one of those cards and write that on there and let us know. Because um, unlike me, Nathan let me sing a couple of weeks up there with him on the stage. He's probably not going to let everybody do that, okay? So if you say, I want to be in the Milepost 13 band, and, um, and on that Sunday, they're going to let me do it, uh, that might not be true, you know. It may, it may not. But Nathan needs to know. Also, Andy works with our um, children's and our youth and our um, um, nursery back there. He's just not going to let anybody in there, so he kind of wants to check up. But if you want to try that, um, try one of those ministries out, let us know, or any other ministry. Next week, when Andy talks about teams, he's going to be um, preaching about how important it is to serve together and how important it is to serve on a team. He's going to have a list for you next week of all of our teams, so you'll be able to take a look at that and see one of the teams on there that you may want to test drive on that Sunday. All right? So that's how we figure out what our spiritual gifts are, is we just get involved and do something. Now, I know this is a huge subject, to kind of cover in a short time, but what I wanted to focus on this today is the power that God gives you and I to serve him. And one of those things that he gives us is the Holy Spirit and his spiritual gift that empowers us to do that. So I know there's a lot of stuff here, and when you take that paper home, you may have some questions. So if you have any questions this week, feel free to call me or email me. My email address is tom at nagsheadchurch.org. You can get our stuff. It's on all of our emails or on different stuff. So if you have any questions this week, please let me know. So what I want to do right now as we close is um, have a word of prayer. So let's bow our heads. Father God, we thank you for um, what we're focusing on this morning, and that's your Holy Spirit. Father, it's, um, it's almost hard to understand how your spirit can come and dwell inside of us, but your word says it does. Father, your spirit comes and gives us power. It teaches us. It guides us. It helps us understand your word. But Father, it also gives us the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts that we have that you've given us, and they empower us to serve one another, to help one another grow, to help build the church. It also helps us love one another. So, Father, this morning I pray for us. I pray that you'll help us to understand this um, even in a deeper way. But also pray for people that may be um, just now figuring out what it is you want them to do in the church, what it is you want them to do to serve one another, what ministry you're calling them into. Father, you have a plan for our life, and we know that. And you just pray for your help as we figure it out. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.